Hello and a very warm welcome to the EMG Gold podcast. This is your host, Spencer Gore, CEO here at EMG Health. And for today's episode, I'm thrilled to be introducing a very special guest. I'm joined by the Senior Vice President and Head of Intercontinental Commercial at Bristol Mayor Squibb, Esther Bank. For a bit of background about Esther, she's one of the leading voices in the pharmaceutical industry today. A global executive working to transform the industry's culture so that pharma can better serve society and provide patients with accessibility and affordable health solutions. Esther has held many positions during her time at Novartis, specialising in therapeutic areas spanning from haematology, immunology, dermatology, through to oncology, before joining BMS where she is now. So please join me for this outstanding episode where Esther talks about the importance of continuous education to, quote, learning is like breathing, and how she and her team at BMS are coping with the pandemic or as she puts it, being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Hello, Esther, and thank you for joining us today. Uh, hi, Spencer. It's my pleasure. Um, thank you for having me. No, it's great. It's great. Um, so let's kick off looking at education and continuous learning. You studied organic chemistry at university in Barcelona. You also hold an MBA, as well as several other academic accreditations from institutions such as the Harvard Business School. How would you say continuous learning has influenced you and would you say it's also helped in your current role at BMS? Uh, continuous learning has influenced my life completely. Uh, for me, learning is like breathing. It is important to survive and it's important to thrive. And since I was a kid, I was always very curious to learn new things and I love learning. So it has helped me both at the personal level and professional level. Besides, the world is moving very fast and now with digitalization. We have access to innovation uh, at our fingertips. So we can learn about anything, anytime and anywhere. And, and the minute you stop learning, uh, you immediately fall behind. In regards to learning in our industry, uh, uh, as you know, our industry is very dynamic. The scientific innovation goes very fast and a mindset of continuous learning is, is imperative. And yes, you mentioned that I study chemistry and I hold an MBA, and actually, I always loved science, um, but I also wanted to help people at the same time. So the chemistry that I learned and the um, scientific subjects like biology or physics that also I learned in, in my degree helped me understand the development of treatments and their mode of actions. And then with the M MBA, um, I, I got an understanding on how a company works and, and, and therefore, so can we uh, get medicines in, in the hands of patients. Um, but actually, if you think about learning, that was just the beginning um, of my career because one of the biggest learnings I also had was living in, living in working and working in different countries around the world. So I lived in Spain, where I'm originally from, in the UK, in Switzerland, in Germany, and in the US twice. Hmm. And now I work uh, for with a fascinating region uh, uh, that we call it intercontinental region that uh, covers over 70 markets uh, across five continents. Um, so from Latin America all the way to Asia and, and Central Eastern Europe in between and Middle East, uh, etc., and Australia. So I have an incredible opportunity to uh, every day learn about different cultures, 
different uh, set of rules, healthcare systems, uh, also maturity of the systems uh, in terms of, of getting access to innovation uh, treatments. Um, so my learning continues every day uh, internally with, with, with uh, my, my team members, my peers, etc. Externally with customers, uh, external, um, um, external um, stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just to conclude, um, uh, Spencer, one thing I've also um, experienced is that the more you learn, the faster you learn new things. And this is what people today call it learning agility. And, and that's what I continuously remind my daughters. I, I always tell them learning is like breathing. And if you learn, you will thrive. I love that. I love learning is like breathing. I, I, I actually made a note of that when you said it at the start. What a great saying. You, you, you also talked about the, the world moving very fast and, and it, particularly at the moment with, with the pandemic. When it first hit, what was your approach to the challenges that COVID-19 and, and having those distributed teams presented to both yourself and to, to BMS as an organisation? Well, when the pandemic hit and it became uh, global and, and also accelerated uh, massively and, and, and the impact expanded, we, we saw countries and governments reacting differently. And we realized that the most, the, the most successful countries um, were those that uh, had previous experiences in dealing with uh, disease outbreaks or and or had robust protocols for crisis management. So as a team, uh, once we realized that the pandemic was not just a few weeks in lockdown um, and then we come back to normal, but rather there is a new normal, that was a tipping point that we really was critical for us to understand that the faster you adapt, uh, the better. So that you have to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. You yeah. have to be comfortable with the unknown and then accept that and you are in a much better position to become agile. So one one member of my team said, um, and this is also one of the biggest learnings uh, during that period, uh, still is actually, uh, that one team member said, we are all in the same storm, but not in the same boat. Meaning that there are people that uh, are experiencing different hardships uh, uh, at home, in their personal lives, uh, at work. And for us to understand this and and provide the flexibility so people can balance their work life and and home uh, or personal life was critical and actually brought us closer than ever uh, as a team. So in the end... um, no matter how you do things, uh, we are united by two principles. One is that we ensure medicines are available to patients. And two, that we keep our people safe during this period. So, and then we manage and, 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 and that has really helped us uh, adapt and, and, and help and support our, our teams. Yeah, that's great. And you, you talk about the ensuring that the, the, the medicine is, is available to patients. Now, you're obviously a staunch patient advocate and openly vocal on that subject of, of, of diversity and inclusion. Why is, is representation so important to you and how can the pharmaceutical industry better represent a wider, uh, more accurate range of patient populations as, as well as employees? So, so Spencer, I, 
I, I truly believe in, in celebrating diversity and creating an inclusive world. Actually, this is core to who I am as a person and, and to my values. Yeah. And Mar- Martin Luther King actually said, uh, whatever affects one directly uh, affects all indirectly. So any kind of discrimination based on nationality, race, and gender, anything uh, uh, is wrong and must not be tolerated. And at Bristol Myers Quiz, we made this very clear internally and externally. Um, and actually, I'm very active on, on diversity and inclusion within the company. And I, I'm, I'm fortunate to serve in, in two uh, councils at BMS. One is a co-chair of the Commercialization, Diversity and Inclusion Council. And the second is a member of the Global Diversity and Inclusion Council. So. Um, I, I believe that um, we all need to work uh, to uh, celebrate diversity and, and inclusive uh, uh, culture. Uh, the best organizations uh, do this well. And, and as you know, there is a lot of literature that talks about uh, how uh, the best organizations are very diverse and create an inclusive culture, but also is the right thing to do. From a BMS perspective, um, um, the company is very committed and actually uh, has launched an extensive program to foster inclusion and reduce disparities. And it's, it's comprised of multiple pillars. Um, for example, in greater equity in clinical trials, also ensuring diverse representation in our workforce, and that includes the management. Uh, ensuring diversity in the suppliers and partners we work with. Um, improving patient access and affordability on treatments. And also we have charitable work. So I think what, what is important about this program is that it's very tangible with clear milestones uh, to achieve and also uh, specific funding to support these initiatives. So uh, from a, a patient access perspective, there is a lot to do, Spencer. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we need to work uh, together. This is a joint effort with government officials, regulators, payers, HCPs, patients advocates, because we need to narrow the gap and leave no patient behind. And, and just to conclude, I'm going to give an example that um, I joined last year uh, a panel um, um, about uh, health disparities in the LGBTQ population uh, in the context of the Pride Month, and I was astonished and very sad uh, by what I learned about how uh, this community, and, and, and unfortunately many other uh, communities uh, that are affected by health disparities. So we, we, we have a lot of work to do, and we need to uh, keep uh, making sure that uh, we support any patient, no matter uh, your background, your origin, or your uh, level of diversity that you bring with you, that um, we need to make sure that they have access to healthcare. Yeah, agreed. There, there is a lot of work to do, but it's great to hear both yourself and, and BMS taking a good stand on this. So, so well done. Um, going back to one of the earlier topics you touched on, on, on in terms of uh, digital, COVID-19 has propelled the industry to move faster when it comes to digital. Um, how, how is BMS taking steps to embrace the potential of digital and, and what impact is that having on the, on the wider culture? Yeah, uh, BMS had already <clears throat> a strong digital capabilities and, and platforms, but when the pandemic hit, we accelerated our plans 
to connect more effectively, broader and better. Um, I'm going to maybe share um, um, on the external uh, side and then move to the internal yeah. uh, side. Um, but uh, externally, uh, we've been more active in digital and social media platforms. I'm going to give an example of, of something that has been very successful and, and, and we put in place just uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, is the partnership between the patient advocacy group Greet Health and Bristol Myers Squibb that we launched the COVID Advocacy Exchange, uh, working very closely uh, with global and local um, advocacy organizations throughout different diseases, um, basically to uh, provide um, support, virtual support to patients that are experiencing those diseases and at the same time had to navigate the, 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 the pandemic, which obviously didn't make the situation very easy for them. So this is a virtual, virtual platform that provides access to data and information and also provides the opportunity uh, to participate in the weekly live uh, uh, interactive sessions Mm -hmm. uh, that foster discussion and collaboration. I had the pleasure to be a moderator in one of those, and it was very inspiring. All the conversations that were created, uh, also call to action. So very, um, I think it was very, very uh, good to, to put it in place. Um, so I think from an external perspective, also our interactions with the healthcare practitioners and, and, and the external stakeholders uh, uh, in every country um, had to move to a virtual world and when we were used to face-to-face -face only. And, and, yeah. we learned, and we learned that they are also, uh, the, our customers are not only used to this now, but also some of them express a preference in engaging virtually. So I think post-pandemic, um, I think we're going to move to a hybrid model. Yeah. And internally, uh, very quickly, um, we... We have a leverage, we, we, we have a, a variety of platforms that uh, help us as a company to stay connected with uh, over 30,000 people that we are as a company. And, and one thing that I experienced, and I was not really, I was skeptical at the beginning, uh, I have experienced that this connectivity that the virtual world has allowed has actually uh, uh, brought us together stronger as a community uh, than ever. Um, in our case, in, in, in my region, if you remember, I told you 70 countries, you know, five yeah. continents. So imagine uh, for me to get to go to every country and, and last year, not the year after, actually it was 2019, losing track of, uh, of, of the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, in 2019, I, I spent more time on a plane than on the ground. So I visited, <laughs> yeah, I visited as, as, as many countries as I could. But still, I only got to visit a few because obviously there was a, a physical impediment to, to be everywhere. And interestingly now, with the pandemic last year, that was mostly virtual. Mm. I got to connect with the countries and, and virtually visit the countries uh, many more uh, than, than in 2019. And, and actually, it's funny because, you know, one hour you are with the China team connected and the very next hour you are with the Brazilian team connected, yeah. right? So while I think nothing can replace the face-to-face -face energy and, and, and incredible interaction that happens when you meet someone face-to-face, -face, um, I still believe also in hybrid models that will allow us to be face-to-face -face when needed, but also connect virtually to reach more people as well.
Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think that's the, it's going to be a, it's going to be that hybrid model you talk about. Um, talk, talking of the digital side of things, moving on to social media, you, you've demonstrated the value of being an active thought leader on social media. Why is it so important for leaders to be seen on these platforms? And why do you think the pharmaceutical industry struggles with unlocking the value of social media? Yeah, and and actually, I must confess that um, at the beginning, I didn't uh, want to be in social media uh, myself. (laughs) Um, Because I was used to speak live uh, to big and small uh, audiences. And, And... and I thought that without the energy that was generated in in the you know in that moment that you connect with the audience, um, I, I wouldn't be as engaging or as effective uh, in a virtual world. So I guess I didn't understand two things. Uh, first of all, that when you have something to say, the more platforms and the broader mm. the platform, the better. Yeah. And the second thing I, I didn't understand uh, is that. Uh, yes, social media is different. You may not connect uh, a face-to-face, but it's also very rich as people share their thoughts and experiences, and that creates a sense of community. That was a, a total discovery for me. Um, so I need to thank my communications team <laughs> that, that, that always understood why I had to be in social media and, and help me see it too. Um, I think as um, also my learning is that uh, as leaders of uh, a dynamic uh, industry, um, we need to learn from each other. I value the perspective of my colleagues and also uh, from colleagues from other fields, and I can get this through social media. I think it's important that leaders are out there and share uh, when they have uh, things important to, to say. And at the same time, in pharma, as you know, this is a heavy regulated, heavily regulated sector, um, so we must be compliant with our regulations. Um, from a professional perspective. And from a personal perspective, I think there is so much disinformation in social media that we need to ensure that what we post is genuine, is relevant, and is reliable. So I do believe that uh, even uh, the pharma industry is also accelerating their presence in social media and and organizations are becoming more and more active. And somehow the pandemic has become a catalyst uh, for that. Yeah, no, agreed. Uh, and, and moving from thought leader to, to just leadership in general, a key part of leadership is team building. Um, yeah, what, what's your approach to doing this critical task successfully? Well, uh, it's a little bit of a science as an art, right. I need to admit. So there are many books that will tell you scientifically how it yeah. works, the roles and responsibilities and, 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 and common objectives, you know, and, and, and they are right. I think that addresses part of uh, uh, building a, a, a strong team, then there is the art that I call right. it. And, and the art is when you uh, are tasked with, the, with something that you need to do with, with the mission that we need to do in a business, in an organization that you need to transform or evolve or start from a scratch. Once you understand this and, and you picture the vision that uh, for what you need to accomplish with your team, then you start thinking about what is the team that I need to do that. And I can tell you, depending on what you need to do, depending on that vision, you will need different teams. Yeah. So that's part of the art, right? So then you, you, I start looking at what skill sets do I need, uh, profiles, uh, backgrounds, experiences, with the intention of even if each of us are not perfect, by far, 
on, on, on everything, right? That when we come together, we create the perfect team. And I think that's, uh, to me, the art. Uh, and it's an intangible because you need to read what you need to do at the moment and read, need to read the people and how they can evolve. And that's the last part of, of building a strong team is that it's something that is not a static. So yeah. uh, teams as, I see teams as a living organism uh, yeah. where they grow, they expand, they reduce, adapt, change and pivot. And, and, and most importantly, we learn and, and, we, and we become better teams. So that's, I would say, the balance between the science and the art. Yeah, definitely. It, yeah, the, having that human touch and, and understanding people are growing at different times and speeds and levels. And yeah, as you say, it's a, it's a living thing that you have to work on. And also, um, and also Spencer, uh, there is, I believe, in, in, in the artistic part of the magic of the con- connectivity between people. And that's something that you can really not uh, sometimes think rationally, right? Yeah. So sometimes you just connect and you create a team that the, the sum of all parts become bigger, right? Uh, uh, than, um, sorry, that, that, that the team will become bigger than the sum of all parts. Because, yeah. and, and, and that's why these intangible uh, human connectivity that creates possibilities comes into play. Yeah, very much. It's something we believe in very strongly at EMG. Uh, you know, it's having everyone has to have the same values, and there's no right or wrong values. Your values are right for you, and ours are right for us. But if they're aligned, that that's when the magic happens, as you say. And you know, you, you can't. You can look at a CV all day long, yeah. and, and you know, you could have ten people with all the same qualifications, but it's it's getting those personal relationships that can make exactly, exactly. And, and and you know. Leadership's obviously quite a, a, a tricky thing at the best of times, but what lessons have you learned over the last 12 months um, that, that, that uh, you know, have changed maybe? And, and what would your advice be to, to other leaders in the industry now that 2020 is behind us? Yeah, um, well, the, the first lesson, it's not, I would say, it's not new over the last 12 months, but I think it really uh, resonated over the last 12 months is that um, I, I used to believe early in my career that I should be self-sufficient at all times, do not yeah. ask for help, know everything. <laughs> yeah. And as my career progressed, uh, I came to appreciate uh, about the immense power uh, that comes from living on, on your teams and on people and asking for help. Yeah. I think last year when the pandemic hit, I think there was the the uh, a very acute moment where we all had to ask for help yeah um and and i think that's um that's something that um i i knew i had been learning along the years but uh, i think last year was even um a more relevant actually i'm the kind of person that will be looking and caring after people before looking and caring after myself and during the pandemic, that brought me to a position that uh, it was exhausting. Yeah. Um, imagine we have 3,000 people in our uh, intercon organization, right? Plus, I yeah. have a family with teenagers, yeah. uh, pre-teens, pre, actually. So yeah. uh, at some point, I was exhausted. And, and, and to, you know, to realize that I had to take care of myself and, 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 and make sure that I had you know, the, the good habits and, and sleep well and exercise and, and, and take some time off also for myself was, a, I think, was a good revelation uh, to me. So yeah. this is also part of the, um, 
of the uh, you know um, asking for help. Um, then the other thing that I, I I think was also very important was that um, is that you, we need to embrace change and adapt to new situations. Um, COVID hit in a way that completely disrupted our lives. The way we work, the way we live, the way we interact, all of a sudden, by the way, with no preparation. And many people endure hardships. And some people, unfortunately, lost loved ones. And still, uh, we are in this situation. So um, so embracing that change, even if, it's, if, you, if we are enduring a hardship, the sooner you embrace that new situation, and look for opportunities in the middle of the crisis. It's what makes you, in the end, overcome those challenges. And then it becomes part of a growth journey, right? So I see life as a journey when we are constantly learning and growing, going through challenges, and then overcoming them and learning and becoming stronger. So also another learning through crisis is that... Kindness and humanity uh, are the glue that brings people together. So I think we, I've seen people during the, the pandemic uh, at, in our company, also leaders, you know, showing, expressing their humanity even more and better than pre-pandemic uh, times. And, and I think that uh, was very impactful and, and has brought people um, together. So. Um, and the last thing, uh, something that is also, um, I think, emerging, and, and there is recent st studies that were published actually a few days ago uh, that uh, they show that trust levels have been um, heavily impacted by the current uh, crisis and confidence in governments mm -hmm. shows the greatest drop and trust in businesses, the highest rise. Wow. So uh, I think society is asking uh, companies, corporations uh, to, to actually to step up and, and, and become trusted uh, organizations. And we cannot let people down. I think we have a, a responsibility to make decisions that will help uh, people, that will help society, and that we can contribute to a better world. I, I honestly and deeply believe in that. And I try to live up. Uh, to those uh, values uh, uh, every day when we need to uh, make decisions. Yeah, no, I, that's fantastic to hear. I, I, I find it particularly fascinating to hear about the you know, you, what you started talking about there in terms of thinking you have to know everything as a leader, and actually that's something you realise over time that you, you, you know, actually that's probably the sign of a bad leader thinking you know everything, and, and so you need to surround yourself by people that know more than you. And I think that you know that. That the, the 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 pandemic was a great a great learning curve there because actually you know quite often you assume people know more than you and and you know when the panic pandemic kicked in well no one really knew anything about it so we were we were all in that same boat as you talked about before or in the same storm but different boats and no one knew how to deal with it so it it did mean you could step up and and openly admit that you didn't know some stuff um, and and it's interesting hearing about you know, you talk about looking after three thousand people and helping them out and. What a strain that can put on you as a leader as well. And I've, I've, I've talked in the past about the concept of work, putting on your own oxygen mask first, like on an yeah. aeroplane. You, you know, <laughs> it, it's so important that you do that, I think. And so it's it's interesting to hear and great to hear that you know you, you've been through that same journey as well. Fascinating. 
I'm afraid that is all we've got time for today. I could keep talking all day. I, I, I love to hear this sort of stuff. It's great. But, but Esther, on behalf of our listeners, I wanted to thank you for joining us today and for such an insightful and, and enjoyable conversation. It's amazing to hear all the work you're doing for your patients and for your teams. Uh, you truly are leading by example. So um, I hope to have you on again soon. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thank you, Spencer. It's been a, a delight uh, to be part of, of this conversation. And uh, thank you so much. And, and, and also thank you for all that, that you do, uh, because you create these uh, opportunities to have these conversations that brings uh, humanity to everything that we do. So thank you for creating that platform. And thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to be part of it. Oh, thank you so much. It's lovely to hear. That's all we've got time for today, folks. So remember to tune in again every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take care, and we'll see you again next time for the EMG Gold podcast. Thank you. Thank you.